Good morning and welcome. You've got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Miss Sarah, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Lots to talk about. Lots of things going on. You had some news we were talking about off air. Uh, sounds like you had some collision-related stuff maybe in your world. Yeah, I had a family member who got into a car accident a couple of weeks ago, and thankfully he is okay, and Good. the other driver is okay as well. But it was the other driver's fault. He had just, I don't know if he had missed the stop sign wow. or wasn't paying attention, but just completely drove right through it. Oh and my. Yeah, ran right into my family members. So thankfully, both of them are okay, though. Well, good. But that kind of leads us to the repair side of the world, because it sounds like they're going to try and fix. It was kind of a specialized vehicle, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's an interesting topic. We've talked about shortages in parts and cars and availability. You just can't replace that stuff right now. So I I didn't tell you this intentionally because I wanted to share it on air. They're having such a hard time getting parts for collision-related items that the the gas is going bad in some of these cars. And so they'll sit at the body shop for months and months and months waiting on all the parts. They'll finally get it together, and then the car doesn't either run at all or start. Oh, no. Can you imagine that? That would be such a bummer. Yeah, and and so that kind of goes back. I know I've done a lot of fuel storage discussions over the years, but... Uh, yeah, to sit at a body shop, um, there was a gentleman, he was one of our customers, I think is who told me this story, but he had a brand new truck. It was probably a 19 or 20. It sat at whatever body shop for over a year before they got all the parts to reassemble the vehicle because, you know, there's a part shortage to make new vehicles. So there's a part shortage to repair the vehicles. Yeah. So, and so my thought process was originally when I heard of my family member getting into this car accident, it's so hard to find a new vehicle right now and it's so expensive. Yes. So I I think that a lot more people are opting to try to salvage their vehicles. Well, and the price as well, you know, because the price of everything's up right now, which is a whole nother topic. But uh, so the insurance or the evaluations are up, so they'll fix more than what they used to. I mean, I can remember different times, you know, you get in a wreck and the airbags deploy, the cars totaled, you know, Mm -hmm. nobody would fix that. But that's not the case anymore. They're fixing those cars. They're putting them back on the lots, as well as it just kind of occurred to me, you know, as a consumer buying a car, you need to know that before you buy one because they're fixing cars they didn't used to. And you and I may go out and, you know, decide, hey, you know, whatever car, you sure don't want to buy a wrecked one, you know, if you can avoid it. Or if you do, you want to know it up front and, and, you know, make sure you get a better deal because... Uh, There are good collision repairs out there, but I've seen a lot of bad collision repairs out there as well, and people buy those problems. Right. Well, actually, I had tons of questions about collision repair, and I know that it's kind of right there on the spectrum of the automotive repair. I know that's not Mm -hmm. necessarily what you have your foot dipped in, but I know that you guys do work hand in hand. Oh, yeah. And so... I guess my first question is, how do you find a good shop? I've heard a lot of different things between like auto body shop and Mm -hmm. paint body shops and full collision repair shops. Is there a difference between all of those things? Oh, very much so. So I need to give a little bit of backstory. So I say my dad was a dealership technician and he was for years and years and years. He was actually an auto body dealership technician. So I grew up in the auto body world. I don't have the patience for auto body. There's a lot of wax on, wax off, sanding, and 
Uh, I spent a lot of my youth doing that with him on different projects. So I'm very familiar with the auto body world. I grew up in it. I went for the mechanical side because I like making things go and stop more than I like them being pretty. But to answer your question, um, very much so. So there's a lot of uh, what I would consider insurance only body shops. So if you have a late model car, probably 10 years or newer, they specialize and really only accept insurance work on late model cars. That's their business model. That's what they do. So if you have an older vehicle that you want to repaint done, you want some dents done, or you need have some maybe rust or cancer done, they typically will turn you away and they won't accept your business because that's not their model. You almost have to find somebody that's more of a restoration shop, if you will, if it's 10 years old or older, and those are getting far and farther and few in between, as well as the ability to paint and deal with some of that stuff and get a good paint match. I've got a good friend of mine. He's got probably a 98 Chevy pickup, and he spent a fortune, ended up at three different body shops, and still got a very poor outcome. So he didn't skimp on the money. He didn't skimp on the, you know, taking it to somebody to get things done, uh, but he's still not happy with it. And it's been probably four or five years now, and they did a poor job fixing the rust underneath, and it's coming back through as a very expensive new paint. So you have to be very careful to find a good body shop. Um, you really need to do your homework and almost interview those body shops and see what their normal business load is. So, uh, for instance, you know, if they're, if you have a late model car, you're going to want to find a pretty cutting edge or well-equipped late model body shop. You don't want to take it to the guy that, you know, hasn't done a lot of late model repairs because the paint is different, the the panels and the service is different. Some of them, uh, the vehicles now, they're aluminum bodies. That's a whole different ball game. And if you take it to an older, out-of-date shop, you will not get a good, uh, basically, outcome. As well as if you have an older vehicle, you need to find somebody that really specializes in that kind of service. So. Does all that made sense? I know it was a little windy there, Sarah, wasn't I? It did make sense. But you did kind of touch on something that I have another question ah. about. So can you decide where you want to get your car fixed? Or is that something that the insurance company That's an awesome question. will have to deal with? Yeah. So a lot of times, and for lack of a better term and not to sugarcoat it, they will have folks that they try and steer you to for whatever reason, whether they get a kickback or their buddy or their family. Um, and you can take your vehicle anywhere. So it's it's okay to consider whatever that insurance agent's uh, recommendation is, but you need to do your own homework. So if I you know, want to take it somewhere else, you absolutely can, and the insurance company will pay them, but you you don't necessarily just want to take the first recommendation. I would really do some homework because your money and outcome really depends on that because, you know, you know, typically you're married to these cars for quite a while, and if you get a poor job done, you're married to that poor job. And in my experience, the arbitration of either, you know, getting it fixed right or getting your money back or whatever, it typically, it just doesn't yield well. So you need to do your homework. But yes, you can take it to anybody you want. I feel like I'm just like bombarding you with questions. No, no, like, these bam, are all great bam, ones. Bam. <laughs> it's been good. Well, I have one more, I think, and then we'll be able to go to a break. Okay. But I wanted to talk about post-repair inspections. Now, yes. I know that we do pre-purchase inspections, but is a post-repair inspection something that you guys handle? Because 
if I'm going to get my vehicle fixed, I want it to not only look uh, pretty again, but I also want it to be structurally safe and sound. So is that a thing? Oh, yeah. We actually, um, you know, body shop people really specialize in making it look like it did before the accident. A lot of them, there's some good ones out there. Um, But we deal with some of the mainly electrical issues or gremlins. That's typically not what body shops do, but in a collision, that affects wiring harnesses, modules, all that kind of stuff. So we end up just by osmosis, I guess, if you will, dealing with some of those problems after the repair. But a post-inspection is really good. I mean, even in a major uh, mechanical repair, which we do, I know I think when we had your vehicle in a few months ago, we said, hey, we'd like to have you back here. And that's just part of certain procedures that we do. Um, We don't do that for every job, you know, but on certain things, yeah, I definitely want to see it after the repair. And I, for sure, if I was in a big collision, I would want to put some miles on that thing. Um, If they're a competent body shop, you know, and they'll offer and do just kind of a recheck after you get some miles on it. If not, a mechanical shop such as what we do as well would be a good option. Yeah, see, my thought process was going back to our pre-purchase inspection oh, that yeah. we did. Uh, we saw that one vehicle, the Toyota, that was just completely rusted out at the was. bottom. And that was kind of my thought process between this. I mean, I know that the rust is different, but I definitely want to make sure that if I was going to have an accident, yeah. that the frame was going to be safe. Absolutely. As well as alignment. That's the other thing. A lot of times, you know, after you drive it a little while, if they haven't got it dialed in right, you'll start eating and wearing tires. And you and I both know how expensive tires right. are. You don't want those wearing out premature, so having that kind of rechecked after you put some miles on it is basically kind of just a protection plan to make sure that, okay, everything's back where it's supposed to be. I can have confidence driving this vehicle again, and it's not going to cost and bite me in the butt. I think that was all my questions. So you know what? We got to take a quick break, and then we'll be back here in a little bit. All right. He's pounded down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? All right, welcome back. We've got Sarah Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care, having a little discussion. Hopefully, none of you out there get in a situation where you need a collision repair body shop. That's yeah. kind of a bad day, right? I know. And, you know, it's always so stressful whenever you have a car yeah. accident and you get that frazzled feeling. And so, you know, we're not wanting anybody to have a car no. accident. But you know what? It's really nice to have this information yeah. if you do, because I think that everybody has either been a passenger in a car accident or unfortunately been in a car accident and it just it sucks to be in that position well and over the last darn near 20 years you know we we are a lot of folks kind of phone a friend when they got car problems and normally it's hey i'm having trouble you know and that's something we take care of but i have many times as i sit here and kind of think about it a lot of times i got people that call the shops when they've been in an accident because they don't know who else to call and that's totally okay i mean i get that for sure and so um, we do a lot, or we work with a lot of body shops because we do the custom exhaust side of the world, and that's not a skill you find just everywhere. And so when you are you get in an accident, a lot of times if it's a rear collision or you get rear-ended, it bends or folds your exhaust up. So with that being said, 
we have a lot of relationships and I know which body shops take care of business and do good work. And I know maybe who doesn't and, you know, who I've seen do some things that I wasn't impressed or happy with. So basically because of the relationship we've got with a lot of folks, they call and say, okay, what do I do? Um, even with people that have, uh, you know, liability only, or they're mainly wanting to just get their car driving, or they've been in a situation where it only affected the suspension. A lot of the times they'll bring them to the shop, um, especially with slick weather. We see a lot of uh, collision damage to suspension components that we will fix in house and not send to a body shop. So for instance, I had a young man a couple years ago who had done a lot of damage to the underneath of the car and it had bent the unibody and the, the, uh, insurance agent came out or the uh, inspector or whatever you call the the estimator they totaled it out wrote him a check well he retained the vehicle he had me fix all the suspension related stuff and he's probably still driving that now because he didn't want to go get another car so even though we're not in the body shop world uh, there's stuff that we are equipped and skilled to fix for certain instances more than other folks as well as if people are paying out of pocket and they just want it drivable and safe and they're not worried about the cosmetic side, um, we will a lot of times fix several of those throughout the year as well. So it's kind of common. We dabble in that, I guess, too. So I guess I got a question about insurance. Yeah. So how do you guys handle insurance on your back end of things? Because, you know, sure. we get to see things from our perspective, but mm -hmm. oftentimes we don't see it from a shop perspective. So how does that work? So a lot of times, beings, you're the policyholder, they deal directly with you. And so it's pretty simple at that point in time. A lot of the adjusters, that was the, the word I was looking for a little bit ago, they're pretty good at coming out and getting in a, uh, a good estimation or value. Um, more often than not, if the car is somewhat mobile, we'll get it up on the lift and allow the inspector to work with the technician to say, okay, this is bent, this is broke, this is going to have to have uh, you know, uh, either replacement or adjustment and take care of that. So um, we'll handle a lot of that, I guess would say the arbitration to make sure that they get a good evaluation. And then they'll they'll come to you and say, hey, it's totaled or hey, this is what's gonna go on. So they either cut you a check or if you allow it to be totaled and, and uh, you know let the car go away, then it's towed to, to a, a salvage auction. There's one outside of Rogersville here local, which is normally where it goes. Okay. The only other thing that I want to talk about when it comes to car accidents is, I feel like I did this backwards here, but I guess some of the things that are common on a car accident scene. I mean, you don't necessarily have a car accident every day of the week. Right. So it's not necessarily something that the average person is used to dealing mm -hmm. with constantly. So I came up with a couple of different things. Okay. And I mean, feel free to add in sure. there. But first things first, if you do have a car accident, you have it on a major highway or just basically anywhere. If your car is drivable, Try to get it off onto the shoulder mm -hmm. or in a safe place. Absolutely. Because you don't want somebody driving 90 and make it a bad situation yeah. even worse. Um, the second thing, and I know that in the past, I know that Springfield Police Department has kind of shied away from this, but calling 911 after you have a car accident. Yeah. And I don't remember 
why they shied away from it. I didn't look this up. I probably should have before so the show. So if it's non-injury accidents, basically they wanted to allocate their attention and time gotcha. to that was the main reason. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. But still, that is a, a good thing to do, um, especially if it's a pretty serious situation. Oh, yeah. The next thing is make sure that you know where your insurance information is. Good point. I have like a little section in my car up at the the dash and it's just like a little tiny place that I think you can hold little, your sunglasses yeah, but that's kind yeah of thing. that's where I put my insurance at just because I'm really bad about my glove compartment yeah. just being full of things that probably shouldn't be in there but they're in there anyways so my favorite thing is i take those real big office clips i don't know what to call them but oh yeah they're, they're the very large uh binder clips. binder clips yeah that is thank you um and i clip mine to the passenger side visor oh, it, that's it smart. always stays right there um, it's pretty much the only thing I keep on that clip. I clip other things to my visors. I use my visors as filing systems. Um, but that is my favorite. And so I'm going to caveat a little bit. Um, keeping the insurance card in your glove box, if you um, are a uh, CCW holder, is probably not a good thing. Um, reaching towards that, a lot of people keep their firearms and whatnot in there. So as a courtesy for our officers... And a safety-related item for you as a uh, operator of motor vehicle here in Missouri or any state, um, keeping a clip to the visor and out of the glove box is a good um, uh, practice, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah, that's a good point. The only other thing that I could think of just off the top of my head is definitely make sure that you document the scene. Oh, yeah. Take photos, take videos. Yes. And if there was witnesses there... Definitely get their contact information. And at least get their plate information. Mm -hmm. So if, if if you're in the accident with whoever else, you want their information. But any of the witnesses as well, you need as much information, plate, phone number, whatever you can. Um, I was actually, I didn't create an accident. I don't know if you remember a few years ago. I was on the interstate and I had a catastrophic failure with a transfer case on my pickup. I don't know if oh, you remember yes, that. Oh, yes, I remember you telling me. Well, that damaged a few other cars. And so that's basically what I did. I captured their information. You know, it just one of those things that happened. So I was on kind of the receiving end of it. Um, I was out of state, but I had a good uh, relationship with a towing company. I was able to get towed off the interstate. You know, I had kind of my my plan. You know, I wasn't planning to be in an accident, if you will. I didn't hit anybody, but uh, I was broke down, catastrophic failure, damaged other vehicles, and I just kind of went into these processes. You know, um, you don't want to stay in or with your vehicle if you're impeding traffic. That's a big thing. I think you talked about getting off the road. But if your vehicle is not capable of getting off the road, you need to step away from the vehicle because you don't want to be sitting in the car, even if it's cold. And I know we've got some nasty weather around. Um, you need to safely stay away from it until help arrives if it's disabled as well. So great points. I love everything that you've put out there. Yeah. And that last one, the documenting the scene, I've only thankfully, knock on wood, yeah. only been in one car accident. And that was something that came and bit me in the butt. Oh, really? It was. Yeah. And so I won't get into too much details, but I wish that I would have taken some witness information yep. down. But I was once again in that frazzled state of, oh, my gosh, 
just got into a car accident. Is this other person okay? Am I okay? Is my car okay? Is everything okay? Um, So I was in that state of mind and I didn't necessarily think about getting the witness information at the time. And there was several witnesses there and they painted a totally different story than uh, what the gentleman had painted several years later. And um, so, yeah, definitely. That's you, disappointing. It, it was definitely disappointing. And I really hated that situation. So I don't want anybody else to be in that right. situation. Because, I mean, like I said, car accidents, they suck. They do. Nobody wants to be in one. No. Um, and it always is even more terrible whenever not only are you in that situation, but then you've got a complete goober head, if yeah. you will, if it's with another person. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we got to take another All quick right. break. And then. We'll be right back. Yeah. All right, welcome back. We're halfway through. We got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Sarah, we had a segment last week. A gentleman had a question about tow vehicles. Yes. Tell me what you thought about my uh, explanation, because I feel like it was pretty jumbled. Well, I think that he was excited that you were able to give as much information. It was a lot. Like I felt like it was just vomit at the mouth. Was that is that a good way to say it? Is that a, a, a radio term? Actually, a, a little bit. Okay. But you know what? I do have a chance for you to redeem yourself. I need, it. I need the redemption. I, I do have a chance for you because Michael asked another question. Oh, he did. Okay. He did. I did not know that. Okay. So his question is: He has a two thousand five hundred and eighty-five thousand miles six point um, power stroke that has been quote studded and deleted. Okay. Is yep. this worth looking at or staying clear of? Awesome question. Absolutely awesome. And I'm hopefully going to try and um, consolidate my answer a little bit. But I'm going to answer this before I get into that. You've got to, you know, make up. I know. For I it. do. I Don't let sure him down. Do. So everybody uses that term bulletproofed. Have you ever heard that, Sarah? Mm-hmm. It's been bulletproofed. Um, so that is a real term and it's a real thing, but depending on who did it and what they did varies very much so. So that one, I'm definitely a six liter fan. There are some Achilles problems with those. And if it's been done correctly, that probably would be a great truck to look at. However, um, I've seen a lot of them that have been bulletproofed and everybody out there in radio land will have to envision my air quotes and the sarcasm there. Um, They use that term very blanketly, and a lot of times it's very misrepresented. So um, the 6-liter has had some Achilles problems. Typically, the deleted and head stud fixes most of those problems, EGR coolers, etc. If it has had a lot of tuning run on it, that is a very bad thing to those engines. They won't tolerate it very much. Pretty much they're at max horsepower right out of the box. Um, International developed that engine. And you you want to stay away from somebody that has run those real hard. So um, there needs to be more to that story. Yes, to answer your question concisely, I would definitely look at that truck. I would want to know who did service, who did what. If there's a paper trail on it, I for sure would want that. And I would want to investigate it before I spend a ton of money on it. 
if it has a crazy tuner on there and it's rolling coal and all kinds of stuff, I would stay away from it absolutely because um, those engines are are pretty good engines once you get away from the, the flaws that were engineered into them. But they're very expensive to work on. And you need to, if you have somebody work on those, those are not just an engine and platform that, you know, every mechanic out there is familiar with. And they can cost you a ton of heartache and money very, very quickly. And I don't want you to buy somebody else's problem. So six liter is absolutely a candidate. Do your homework. Make sure it's exactly what you think it is and need it to be. Otherwise, you're going to pay for it long term. If you go to a 6.4, I think I covered that. That was just a very small, I think, 2010 to 2012, somewhere in that range. Absolutely no. I don't care what care those have been given. That 6.4 was a complete disaster, in my opinion. Uh, There's a lot of those trucks out there on the market cheap, but you will pay for it in the long run. It is really a tragedy that Ford put that out there. And they have performed very, very poorly. So um, as far as later than that, your 6.7 Scorpion, I'm a big fan of those. They are expensive to work on. Transmissions are pretty good in all of those vehicles, by the way. Rear differential front end, for the most part, that's a pretty solid truck as kind of a whole package. Um, So that pretty much takes care of your Fords. Uh, With the exception, I think I touched it a little bit. Um, your V10 option. Uh, I know you're you're specifically looking for gas engines, but those V10s uh, are a pretty good puller. They really are. They get horrible fuel mileage. That is the bad part of that. But you can find people to do quality service work on those a little bit easier than you can either the diesels, and your cost will be significantly less. So that's just something to think of. They share the same transmission. Uh, everything else is the same, so good option there. I think I briefly touched on uh, your GM options. Um, the six-liter gas engine of GM will not pull the you know eight, seven, eight thousand pounds very consistently for very long. I'm not saying for my six-liter gas folks out there that uh, your old Chevy pickup can't tow, but for a dependable tow rig uh, for six to eight thousand or more pounds, I definitely would go something uh, something other than that which is pretty much in GM world only uh, limits to you, limits you to your 6.6 Duramax, which comes with a very good Allison transmission, probably one of the best on the market. If I'm, if I'm uh, basing my judgment on that, uh, the Allison is, is by far kind of the, the, the trendsetter, if you will. Um, the Duramax, again, kind of back to the six-liter kind of school of thought. That's not something that you just have anybody work on. You know, just because you're a mechanic doesn't mean that you work on every make and model. And you need to find somebody that's familiar with those. So everything I said about the six-liter applies to the Duramax. Uh, with the caveat that they have an Allison transmission, which I am a big fan of. Decent rear differentials, decent front-end geometry. Uh, honestly, probably one of the better ones out there, Ford and Chevy, I would consider on par. I think for your Dodge folks, they really don't have a gas engine, in my opinion, that tow very well. And I know I'm going to get some hate for that. Even the Hemi, um, it just it hasn't lived up to what it's supposed to as far as towing. Okay, They do a lot of great things, just not a fan of that. However, they make up for it with the Cummins engine. 
So to kind of touch base on that, if I was going to go Dodge, it would for sure be a diesel with a Cummins. If I could get a manual transmission, which I do have to give Dodge some credit on that, they have been better at still offering a manual transmission that is much more difficult to find with the Ford and Chevy options. Uh, manual transmissions never overheat. Um, you do have to put clutches in them from time to time, and that is an expense. However, uh, the towing capability of a manual, if you are a good operator, that's very important, um, is a pretty big deal in my neck of the woods. Uh, their automatics will tow some, um, but they have really been an Achilles heel to that Dodge, as well as the engineered uh, design of the suspension. We do a lot of work on those, so not quite the longevity and more service time on those. Sarah, did I do a better job explaining that? Did that make any more sense this week? I think week? so. I and hope so. once again, if you have any yeah. questions out there, you can send them in. I should probably give our text line yeah. a couple more times than at the end of the show. <laughs> but our text line is 417-447-5743. You can also send us a text message at ksgf.com or you can send us one on our facebook page i know that michael reached out specifically through a1's yeah. uh, website and that's another really great question because those do also get forwarded over to us as well so there is an array of ways that you can reach out to us well and sarah and i really like uh the voice from the customer the listener whoever it is whether you're a customer or not you being educated is what we do the show about, in my opinion. Is yeah. that a fair way to say that? So we want you to have a voice. You know, uh, Sarah and I can always come up with things to talk about. We chat pretty good. But uh, you guys, we want to be talking about things that are relevant to you. Uh, I've been in situations, not necessarily in the automotive world, but in life in general, where I'm not educated on a topic. And Sarah and I want to make sure that that's not you as far as it comes to the car talk world. So Right. And it doesn't matter what type of question no, not that it is either. If you think that it's like, oh, maybe this is kind of a, a question that I shouldn't send in to them or something, send, send it. it over. Yeah. There's no bad questions. No bad questions. <laughs> that is that is the God's honest truth. So very, very cool. We got any more time left? Or You've we... got about a minute before okay. we got to take a break. So I want to ask you a question before we get into it. And it's a loaded question, probably more than we have time to talk about. Have you heard about the trucker situation in Canada right now? Yes, I've been following it relatively close, actually. Yeah, me too as well. It's been very interesting. So um, I had a good buddy of mine that got me into the CB world. So, you know, I've mm, got it yeah. going, which is really cool. But the chatter on the CB right now, as far as all the talk, as far as you know, what the mandates and they got to do this. If you want to drive over here, man, that segment here in the States, I don't think is really getting out there very much. I don't know that we're going to have a convoy of truckers rebelling, but uh, I really am, am pleased that the Canadian folks have kind of stepped up and, and I want to be heard. You I know. do know that there was quite a few American truckers that were, I, I don't know if they were in the area or if they just took mm -hmm. off to be in that area, yep. but I know that they did join with them for a little while and i don't know if you saw the photos of um the protests that they were holding i've seen a little bit of them there i mean the photos don't do it justice there was thousands thousands wow. and thousands and thousands of people that are speaking out against this well and i saw some aerial footage where they were flying over the bobtail convoys because you know, kind of part of their statement, if if you're not familiar with it, is that they've dropped their ability to carry cargo and they're bobtailing around to say, look, hey, that's how you know that they're 
trying to make a statement if you don't get to talk to them. As well as I saw a whole bunch of them, and I think they were stopped maybe in a town or somewhere, but they were all on the air horns trying to say, hey, you know, somebody listen to us, dang it. So, uh, you know, definitely lots of support there, and, and I'm glad that that's happening. But we're going to take one more break. Sarah and I will be back in a moment. All right, welcome back. You've got Sarah and Dustin. We've got just a little bit more time. Something I think we need to cover, kind of a current events, I guess, if you will. We opened it a little bit before we went to break, and we were talking about some of the trucker, I guess, uh, I don't say controversy, because it's not just controversy, but basically they've come out and said that if you don't have the old jibby-jab, you can't go between Canada and the United States. And we share a lot of trade back and forth. And so, you know, I've been traveling a little bit in my personal truck. I've got a CB there. Um, It's really nice to be able to communicate with some of the drivers when I'm out moving around. Uh, I had a driver here the other day. I was in Republic. I was trying to pull out in traffic, and he let me in. I was able to, you know, give him a little thank you. Yeah, so it was really cool. I also had another situation where I was listening to the truckers talk. And about five miles up the road, there was some um, emergency uh, vehicles coming, and I was able to hear, and they were putting it out there before I made it to that spot. So I knew that, hey, I needed to pull over, yield, let them go by, hopefully help the folks that they need. But I spent a little time out on I-44 and uh, I-49 down in Arkansas here in the last couple of weeks. And so the topic was that, you know, hey, it's not right that they're mandating to have that old jibby-jab in order to go over. And then the, the Canadian population is really having a lot to say about it. As well as what I thought was very, very interesting, they talked about state by state. Um, and they talked about not going to California and not going to the state of New York. So, Sarah, how would you like to live, and I'm very thankful we live in the Midwest, by the way. You know, I've lived other places in in the country, but I'm very thankful for all the folks out there that have like-minded thought process, I guess. But what if you lived in one of those states? And I'm not saying everybody in those states is bad, so please let me at least clarify that. There's there's some like-minded people in those states. But how would you like to be a conservative-minded person living in those states and not be able to go to the store because of a mandate because there's nothing at the store i mean that would be absolutely frustrating and i mean i wouldn't ever put myself in those positions to live in one of those states but it would it would be very frustrating yeah and so that was kind of the chatter on kind of the discussion of what i was hearing i spent probably about an hour running up and down the road and it was pretty much many many drivers talking about it they're like look there's plenty of freight over here i'm not going there I can go I can go someplace where it's sunny and 65, you know, or whatever. I don't have to go to New York. And I'm sure not dealing with the crap out there um, that California is putting down. Not only have they gotten so strict on, you know, some of the jibby-jab stuff, but the, uh, the missions, you know, they won't let, I think it's like 2012 or older trucks into their state. That's a lot of trucks out there. And they're pretty much carrying the uh, goods and services all of us need to get through life, you know. It's not like back in the day where you found a blacksmith and you found a, you know, a furniture maker. You know, it's not a community thing anymore. Good and bad. I'm not saying that's all bad, by the way. But we rely on a lot of those services coming in from other parts of the country. So the more hurdles and blocks that you put up there, 
the more they're just going to go somewhere else. Or if they do come to you, the price is going to continue to go up even more than it already is. I mean, I'm sure we're not the only ones going grocery shopping out there. And when I get to the, the bill, I'm like, I got two bags for a hundred and whatever bucks. That's a disappointing. I remember as a kid, uh, we had uh, the Aurora Walmart was a regular Walmart. Did you ever, you're probably quite a bit younger than I am, Sarah. Did you ever go into a regular Walmart, not a super center? I did. Really? Mm-hmm. Actually, Buffalo has a regular Walmart. Well, I drove through Mount Vernon the other day and they have a regular Walmart still. I was mm. blown away. You know, now my kids, they all know, they only know what a super center is. But I remember going and we spent like 120 bucks and I was probably like 12 and we had a overflowing cart. It was like we had won the lottery. I mean, we got just all kinds of stuff and it wasn't nothing extravagant. You know, it wasn't that we were just blowing money. We were pretty, you know, conservative, I guess, if you will, or, you know, even a little bit on the poor side as a kid, but we had gotten a little bit of whatever and uh, we went and stocked up. I remember us stocking up and being ready and 120 bucks. It got you a ton of stuff. And now 120 bucks, uh, unfortunately, the old uh, power of the old uh, Federal Reserve note is uh, waning a little bit. So that's kind of disappointing. But the more crap we put in between us and getting whatever those services or, I guess, goods would be more accurate, not necessarily service. Service is the delivery, by the way. Um, you know, the more the fuel prices go up, the more uh, folks that say, hey, you got to do this or that before you are able to deliver here, et cetera, et cetera is uh, pretty much kicking the consumer, the end consumer's butt. And we are those end consumers. So a little frustrated on that. I'm a little disappointed in that. But it uh, doesn't do any good to bury your head in the sand and not uh, be able to recognize some of those things. So whether it's planting a garden or, you know, raising some of your own small homestead livestock stuff, that's kind of where my head's at. So I'm I'm definitely a fan of that. So I hope you out there are able to. But there was also a lot of discussion, Sarah, and I'd be interested to see kind of what you think about people leaving those states and moving to other states. I am 100% okay with them moving Mm -hmm. if they leave their political views with them. I'm totally okay if you are a conservative of, you know, if you were like-minded and you're coming from California and you're just fed up with yeah, this stuff. You know, for it, sure. it always kind of sucks, you know, if the, especially if that's your home yeah. and um, where you moved out there because you, you have family or friends or you just really wanted to enjoy the, the beauty of a state mm-hmm. and you just get bogged down with all of this nonsense. Yeah. You just make sure that you leave that nonsense yes. behind. Very, very much so. And that's been, I think, a big discussion. They, you know, I think even the you know, state refugee uh, term has been put out there and, you know, they worry about that. Um, I will say, you know, from somebody living in a state that the cost of living is pretty decent here. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the conservative views are like-minded and, and whatnot. I appreciate greatly. Um, it, it does drive up some of our costs. I've noticed, you know, the property costs and whatnot. When you have you know, I don't want to say big money coming in from other states, but that's what fuels some of the markets as well, is that money comes here while you're competing with out-of-state money. And that makes it a little bit of a hard pill to swallow. And I'm just kind of keeping it real or my thoughts, if you will. 
Um, but it's not always a bad thing. You know, sometimes being, uh, you know, competitive is, is not a, a horrible thing. Depends, I guess, whether you're the seller or the buyer, I guess, you know. Yeah, we if, did face that. Oh, you did. So yeah. you've seen this personally. Yeah. yeah. And we saw it in the housing market. Yeah. And we got outbid. We put, oh gosh, we tried to buy a house for like two years. Mm-hmm. And we started looking right when the housing market got crazy. Wow. Yeah. So bad time for yeah, us. Yeah, bad time. But we got outbid on I think two houses because and they were out of state. Money. They were out of state and they were cash. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's really hard for, for your first time home buyers yeah. or, you know, we're not made of money for sure. No. And we didn't have a $1.1 million house to sell. Right. Um, but you know, we finally figured it out and we got it all situated. And it's so cool. You know, sometimes as you know, at least as I get older, I don't know about anybody else out there. But, you know, those things that you were dead set on that don't work out, you know, at the time you were devastated. And then later, like this other door opportunity opens, you're like, oh, I'm so thankful that didn't work out. And I ended up over here. So I think you guys did really well. You guys have a really awesome place. Thank you. Yeah. I'm still very upset about the first house. We really? Put the, yes. It so was, you're still hacked off about that. Man, huh? it was perfect. It wow. was. It was like five minutes away from my mom's. Oh, yeah, yeah. It I was remember. one of those situations. Yeah, but you were pretty jazzed about that place. That's okay. I'm 10 minutes oh, now. Okay. So Well, we're and fine. you guys got some property, <laughs> which is really cool. You know, as a kid, uh, I did grow up in the country some, but part of it, uh, we grew up very much in a, uh, a very heavy population town up north. And, you know, back then I didn't know any different, you know, you know, we run by the streetlights and, and, you know, we had a good childhood, but now, you know, I think back of the opportunities of being able to play in the field and run mm-hmm. my four wheeler, my dirt bike, or, you know, go hunting or whatnot out in the field. Once we moved, cause we moved, uh, from a very heavy population center to Marionville, Missouri, which is not a very populated area. And so I quickly took up, you know, hunting and whatnot. So to all the farmers that I hunted on your property without permission, thank you. I didn't uh, vandalize or destroy anything, by the way, but I did a lot of hunting out there. And you guys were very gracious, so I appreciate that a a ton. But I really enjoy that part of it, you know, whether it's squirrel hunting, you know, whatever, raccoon, uh, deer hunting, of course, rabbit hunting, whatever it is, uh, I greatly, that's a big part of, of, you know, Missouri or Oklahoma, Arkansas. Very, very thankful that. But, you know, I, I, I think you're right with as far as leaving your politics or the things you despised somewhere else. And, you know, I hate it that the country is so doggone divided and that this old jibby-jab deal is being I don't want to say wielded, if you will, but it's really frustrating. But I guess we're stretching out there as far as what we're talking about, but it's affecting transport, which I guess is a little bit of a problem. So that's all we got today, right? I know. Time flies. It does. Um, Well, if you guys out there do have a question, it doesn't matter how big or small. We'll take them all. That's right. You can shoot us a text over on the text line. Our phone number is 417 Four four seven five seven four three, or you can reach out to us at ksgf.com or on the KSGF Facebook page, 1041 KSGF. Dustin, I hope you have a good weekend. Yes, be safe. Bye.